welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is March 20th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we continue our series uh, along these resources that we want to help people think through how they can care for the most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. And we're going to be joined by Kara Loy, as well as others on our foster care team to talk about how foster care has been impacted during this COVID-19 pandemic. And we hope that you will enjoy listening to them. But before we go and talk a little bit more about foster care, I want to pivot to intercountry adoption and want to remind you that even in a time of uncertainty, many things never change. And two of those certainties are God's call to care for the vulnerable and the growing need of children to have loving gospel-minded families. However, even though our hearts may be ready, sometimes our heads are stuck running the financial numbers. And at Lifeline, we want to help provide support and relief whenever possible for families. And so through the generosity of donors, we are able to offer a scholarship of $500 for families that apply for one of Lifeline's international programs. We hope that this scholarship can help open a path for families who are following God's unchanging call to defend the fatherless. And so for more information on these COVID-19 international scholarships, go to lifelinechild.org backslash scholarship. Again, it's lifelinechild.org backslash scholarship. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Podcast today. Today, we are talking about foster care and especially how our foster care system uh, here uh, in the Southeast, as well as around our country, has been affected because of the global pandemic of COVID-19. And today, we are talking specifically uh, with two of our fantastic foster care team members, uh, Jennifer Travis and Kara Loy. Uh, They work closely with our foster parents, as well as the children that we care for. And I thought they could really help give us a perspective on what are some of the biggest needs right now in foster care? How has foster care been been affected by this pandemic? And how can you and your family begin to get engaged? And so, Kara, I I think first, knowing that you do a lot of training with families, equipping families, and really kind of on the ground, what would you say are some of the biggest needs for foster care right now in light of the pandemic? Well, I would say the needs are probably the same as they have always been, except maybe a little more exacerbated due to the pandemic. You know, we know that a lot of kids are living in dangerous living situations. um, And unfortunately with the shelter in place, they are probably with their abuser 24 seven. So I know that was something that weighed really heavy on my heart throughout this whole time. So I would imagine that there will be an influx of children coming into foster care as they are face-to-face with their mandatory reporters, like teachers and counselors again. Um, And then also we know that a lot of families are struggling financially as well and having a hard time making ends meet. Um, So I would imagine that as well will play a part in more children coming into foster care. So I think there has always been a discrepancy between the number of children in foster care and the number of foster homes available. And that's probably just going to widen as more children come into foster care. So I would say a huge need right now and always is more foster homes as well. Jennifer, knowing too that not only do you uh, 
do you play the role of a social worker by day? You are a foster parent by night as well. Well, foster parent all day long. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you have seen needs as, as much as you can in the confidentiality network, even with the children that are in your home, needs of their biological families, needs within the system from your viewpoint. Yes, I think you're, you're right, Herbie. There's been, I think, a lot of things that have come up or, or have changed because of the quarantine. I know of birth families that have lost jobs and that aren't able to maintain their job, and that's a key thing that is required of them in order to work towards reunification. And so you have families that are struggling to find employment, maintain employment, with the quarantine has also become the uniqueness of we're not having face-to-face visits right now and so we've seen the strain on children in care who really genuinely miss that time with their parents that time for a lot of kids with their siblings that they're not getting and that brings about a lot of grief and a lot of suffering for the kids in our homes in addition to I mean birth family they're not getting to hug their kids to braid their hair, to talk to them, to play with them in that same way. I mean, we all know that Zoom is wonderful and FaceTime and other avenues that allow us to stay in touch are, are great, but it's, it's different. It's so different than when you get to physically be present with your child. And so a lot of our birth families are really grieving during this time, too, because it's been so long since they've been able to, to hug their own child. And, and even as I think about that, both of you are talking about the struggles of this pandemic, obviously uh, different types of communication, different types of, of getting together. We know that children are more vulnerable, uh, both because their activities have been uh, disrupted and they're in homes that, that obviously families are losing their jobs or, or there was already a sense of uh, disturbed nature within the home. Uh, you know, when I, when I even think about that, it, we're going to need more foster parents for sure once this pandemic has kind of loosened and some of these shelter-in-place orders have loosened. Uh, but we need them now, too. How has licensing foster families been different during this global, global pandemic? Kara, why don't you start there? Because I know you've had the opportunity to license families during this pandemic. Yeah, that has definitely been interesting, too just make that shift. Um, typically our training classes have been done in person. And so through this, we've had to switch to doing it virtually and we had to switch to, um, a curriculum that is a lot like the in-person curriculum, but a little bit different in that, um, it trains each family individually. Um, so I kind of took that on with all of our current families. So that was that was definitely a challenge, but it was awesome too to have that one-on-one time with the families too. So it had its challenges, but it also had some really sweet moments as well as we just kind of revamped how we typically do things, but really got to know the families even better, I feel like, through that. So I think there were there were strengths to it and, and challenges to it too, but um, all in all, all of our families in Alabama and South Carolina where we have an office, all of them are now fully licensed and will be, um, their files will be headed to DHR soon to be licensed. So it's really exciting. And Jennifer, talk, walk us through, what is that process in a normal uh, state? What does the process look like to become a foster family? 
So every state gets to have their own state mandated curriculum. Uh, in Alabama, we have a curriculum that we follow called TIPS. And so if you want to become a foster parent, you normally go through a 10-week training class. It ends up being about 30 hours of in-class training. You get to go through that with a group of other families that are working towards becoming a foster parent. And then you have a social worker that works with you on your home study and on making sure that you are holistically ready to be able to foster. And then additionally, you know, you have background checks and doctor's appointments and clearances and making sure your home is up to minimum standards so that you're ready to care for children that are not biologically your own. Um, It's a very involved and in-depth process, but it's also I think a good one because it works really hard to prepare families for the journey that they are about to be on so that they're not walking in blind. And Jennifer, while we have you there, even from both of your vantage points and, you know, you've worked uh, both in the system in Michigan uh, as part of Child Protective Services. Obviously, you've worked at Lifeline kind of as a third party helping with foster care and then obviously your foster parent as well. Can you just help folks understand what does the life of a typical child look like who enters into the foster care system? And then also, what would you say is the hardest thing for foster parents uh, that, that are fostering these children? Those are some good questions. Um, I think when we're thinking about a child that enters the system, I think the thing that sometimes is mind-blowing for people is that this is kids from every walk of life, from every makeup of their family, where they live, rich, poor, young, old, lots of siblings, no siblings, two-parent home, no parent home, they're bouncing around. Um, I think a lot of times the, I guess the overarching thing that is kind of common for all of them as they enter into the system is a life of uncertainty to a degree and some chaos in there a lot of times there's trauma that accompanies the reason that they're coming into care in general Um, but a lot of times too once our kiddos enter the system and they're in our care they're a lot more like the children that already live in your home full-time than a lot of people realize you know they want to be on the baseball team or they want to win at the science fair like they have those hopes and dreams. They want to be the fastest kid and on field day. You know, they have those desires just like the children that permanently live in our homes. And so a lot of times our kids that come into care, they just have that trauma and have some of those um, fear and loss and grief issues that kind of come with them. And so that kind of leads into your next question, which was the hardest thing about being a foster parent. Um, I feel like you could probably ask a hundred foster parents that question and you might get a hundred different answers. I think there's certain days where maybe behavior feels like the hardest thing. And then the next day it's fear of the unknown feels like the hardest thing. And then the next day it's sorrow that things aren't working out with the birth family. So I think it changes a lot, but I guess overwhelmingly or overarchingly, I think it's, I'm, a broken person and I'm a broken person working in a broken system with other broken people. And so I think a lot of times just that brokenness and that despair that you're walking into in foster care can be very 
overwhelming and it can be um, a hard thing to be in day in and day out. I think when I think about foster care and I think about people that try to do that without knowing the Lord and without the love of the Lord guiding them, I think, I think it would be very easy to be overwhelmed in all the despair and brokenness that you see. Um, I feel like really having the Lord and knowing him and him guiding me and walking me through this entire process has been what's helped sustain me as a foster parent and knowing that he's in the brokenness and he's in the messy right along with me. That's great. And, and I think that's so important. It really leads into kind of the next question I had, which is how do you, how do you know if you're called to be a foster family? Cause it, it is hard and it is messy. And, and we see what's going around even in our own country where uh, just in the month of April, over 25 million people filed for unemployment. I mean, when you really think about how many people that really is, there's about 375 million people, you know, in the United States and 25 million of those uh, have filed for unemployment just in one month. We know that these kids are needy. We know that these kids uh, are, are going to need uh, families. And so I think some of our responses, well, well, let me sign up and be a foster family. You know, I, I can do that. I've got an extra bedroom. But Kara, you know, when I think of that, you know, how would you counsel someone who called you and said, you know what, I feel like we want to be a foster family. How would, how do you know that you're truly being called to be a foster parent? Oh, I honestly think I wasn't expecting to be asked this question. Honestly, Herbie, (laughs) I feel like that is probably something that Jennifer would be better at answering because I'm not trying to deflect it to you, Jennifer, but maybe a little bit because that's something that you've actually walked through. Um, but obviously that is something that is up to the Lord's leading and the spirit's calling. And I think that it's honestly something that, you know, but it's also something that you grow to, um, maybe grow more comfortable in as you go through the class as well. I've had a lot of families that are just go through the class and they're thinking maybe this is something that we want to do. We're not totally sure if this is exactly what God is calling us to do. And so, um, they, as they hear more about it through the classes, then that's when they are either really affirmed in it, or maybe the Lord kind of directs them in a different direction. So that's kind of what I've witnessed with my family, but I'm sure Jennifer could give probably a better answer from her own experience. Um, I think just when, like if somebody comes to me and says, I'm thinking about foster care, what do you think? You're a foster parent. Let me know. How did you decide? I think I usually tell families and I usually tell, you know, people that I know, if you're thinking about becoming a foster parent, like talk through with your spouse or work through, even just talk through with me. What do you know about foster care? What has put you on this journey? What makes you think you might like this? Uh, Have you been involved with foster families before? Have you volunteered? Have you been a part of a rap ministry or support group. And if you haven't, I tend to try to tell people, try that first. You're praying about foster care. You're looking into it. Let's get your toes wet, so to speak, and see, because we, we love to say on the foster care team, while everyone may not be called to be a foster parent, we believe everybody's called to have a part in foster care. And so I love to get families working in that direction of volunteering, of getting to know, of spending time with, of loving on children in care, of loving on birth families, families through families count. And all the while that they're doing this, pray, 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 you know, like 
keep asking the Lord, is this what you want for me? Is this where you're guiding my family? Is this what you're calling all of us to? Because it's a whole family ministry, even more so than just the people in your home, but your parents, your spouse's parents, your brothers and sisters that become aunts and uncles, it, it involves your whole family. And so really praying through and seeking the Lord's guidance on, is this something that we are all called to because you want to do it well, if that's what the Lord's calling you to, and he's going to equip you to do it if he's calling you to that. But it's, it's not something that I ever recommend people just jump in and do without really seeking the Lord's face and trying to just get in some involvement ahead of time to see how, how that really affects them and what they really can learn about it before they try to jump in and take all the classes. We know certainly the Lord calls us to difficult things and challenging things. And, and actually there's, there's really nothing the Lord doesn't call us to that isn't difficult or challenging, but he also has gifted us each uniquely for the task ahead. And he gives each and every one of us different callings and equippings to be able to do those things. And, and I think as Kara said, certainly throughout that process, you learn things through the training and through the, uh, the, that's, that's part of the reason the training is there. I know a lot of families get frustrated because there's so much pre-training that goes into becoming a foster family. And, and they'll even ask, you know, if, if it's such a big need, why is the hurdle so hard to become a foster family? And a lot of that is a lot of times we think we are called. And then when we really hear, hear the reality, we realize maybe we're not best suited at this point in our lives to be a foster family. And I know even with our own family, we were challenged with that, with having uh, some children for about eight weeks and shortly through that realized that, that we probably were not best suited to be the long-term placement uh, for these children. That's a hard decision, but it's also one that that training is there to tease out, to know, uh, are you really suited for this? Is this something that you can do long-term? And so, Kara, I think as, as we kind of transition from that, if folks are hearing right about what's going on, they know there's a need for foster care and foster parents, but they aren't called to be a foster parent. What's some other things that they can be doing to help with the foster care crisis, but also ministering to the foster care system? Yeah, I love this question. I get asked this question a lot because it's true that not everyone is called to be a foster parent. And that is the first thing that people think of when they think of foster care. I need to be a foster parent. But for those that don't feel called, they're kind of out on the margins wondering what their role is. Um, because we are called by God to care for the vulnerable. And I do feel like the church plays a huge role in doing this well. So I think I'll talk about things you can do as a church body and then things you can do individually as well. So as a church body, um, we love when the church wraps around foster parents in the congregation, um, just like when a couple just has a baby and the congregation comes together and provides meals for them and gift cards and things like that. Um, the church can do that for foster families too, when they get a new placement. Um, some churches even have a clothes pantry that has clothes and diapers and backpacks and things that foster families and kids may need. We love also that a lot of churches around Alabama and around have started foster parent support groups. And that is great for, foster parents in several different congregations to come together and talk about how their experience is going, troubleshoot different behaviors with each other and things like that. That has been really great. And we want every foster parent to be a part of that. And we do have curriculums on our website that can help with that too. Um, you can even babysit for a foster family and give a couple a much needed date night. 
And there's actually a good amount of people who have babysat for foster families and then they became a foster family themselves. So we love when that happens. Um, but really foster families and the children in care need to feel the love and support of the church wrapping around them. Um, just ba- basically be involved in the child's life, show them a godly example of um, what the church can do and what a godly family looks like and a godly marriage. They need to see what it could be like. And really the world is watching how the church responds to this crisis. And we do need to be leaders and role models in this. And I think just individually, there's so much for everyone to do. There really is something for everyone to do in foster care. So it's important to take inventory of your own skill sets or passions and think of how you can use the resources God has already given you to help children and their families or to even care for CPS. So, I mean, if you're just to give you guys some examples, you know, if you're interested in working with teens, if that's your passion, you can mentor teens who are aging out of the foster care system and need a support system and need to learn skills for independent living. Or if you like sewing, like I know a group of ladies who sew quilts and they have donated to CPS for the children. Um, if you like teaching, you can be a tutor. Just think of the things that you can do. If you're creative, you can do tons of things with that. Um, and also, if you feel just blessed by the Lord financially, you can support organizations that are working with children's care or training foster families. So really, there's just so many things that you can do. Um, so really just pray about it and, and think about what has God specifically given me that I can give back. And on that too, Kara, I think one of the things that we can also encourage folks to do is to pray. So how would you tell folks to pray for foster families, for birth families and for kids in foster care? Yeah. Wow. I mean, (laughs) I think there's really no limit to the things that they can pray for. Um, I think first and foremost, obviously that God be glorified through it all and for the children and their families to to come to know and believe in their savior. Um, Pray for their salvation because ultimately That is the key to um, lifelong and lasting change and hopefully lifelong reunification as well. And so that is our hope for these families. Bring them the hope of the gospel and pray that they will come to know and believe in their Savior. Pray for them. Jennifer was saying, you know, there's just so much brokenness. And so pray for them through that. Every single person that plays a part in the child's life, that's, their family, the foster family, their CPS worker, the judges, all of them are walking through this brokenness and there's a lot of grief and loss associated with it. So just pray for their hearts and pray for them as they walk through those hard times. Um, Pray for the present and future of these children and that God would use their story to bring hope and the gospel to others. Um, And pray for the birth families as they... um, Typically, they have a lot of tasks to do in order to be reunified with their children. So pray for them as they navigate all of that, um, along with the loss that they are feeling and missing their children and and not getting to have them. Um, That's really hard. They love their children. They want to be with them. So pray for them through all of that, too. And I think with foster families, again, just like Christ met us in our brokenness where we were at, that's what foster families are doing. They're willingly walking right into brokenness 
for the sake of the gospel and for these children and their families. So I honestly think they need just as much prayer as anyone else who is doing the Lord's work. I consider them to be missionaries too. So I think um, those are just some of the, some of the ways that y'all can be praying for them. And as we close, Jennifer, I know a huge heart of our foster care program are birth families. And, you know, I think they're the ones that are forgotten so many times in this triad. Uh, Certainly we like to look upon them as those birth families that lost their children, almost as if they're criminals or as if, um, you know, they're the, they're the ones that need the, the, the law to come down on them as such. But many times they're just as broken as the children that are coming into care. Uh, we know as a fact, as we've worked with reunification with birth families, that many times these birth families have been foster children themselves. They're just a part of a continual cycle. I know that, uh, that you and your family, both professionally and personally, just have a huge heart for birth parents and birth parent ministry. Um, how can the church and, and, and God's people really pray for, but also love on families that have lost their kids to foster care? I think first with the pray for, like you were mentioning, praying for their salvation, that they would come to know the Lord and come to know just his forgiveness and his grace and his just the love that he has for them. I think a lot of the families that I have known, that I've gotten to work with, that I have had the privilege of spending time with, there's just so much hurt and so much of a feeling of no one could love me but my kids. I want my kids back because they can love me. Nobody else does. And I think just what a mind-blowing concept it would be for these families if they could understand and feel and know just the love of the Lord and how the Lord really sees them and feels about them. And so I feel like for their salvation, praying for them to understand that the Lord sees them and the Lord finds them beautiful. Um, I think, too, for a, a hands-on thing, I feel like the church can get involved with supporting our birth families, whether it be through Families Count, which is a faith-based, faith-based parenting curriculum that's approved in Alabama and it's approved in several other states that actually helps these families start to grasp the concept that the Lord loves them, the Lord cares for them, has a plan for them. And this type of curriculum happens in the church with the church caring for the families and teaching the families and providing meals and providing child care while the families are in these um, parenting classes. And it's a beautiful way for the gospel to really be lived out. I think sometimes churches and or people in churches can get afraid of, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to act. When a lot of times, like I said before, these families are just like us. They want community. They want to feel like they belong and that they can go somewhere without being judged. They can go somewhere without somebody coming up to them and saying, you did this wrong. You hurt your kid. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, there's space for whatever needs to happen on that end to happen. And I think if the church can help really own that they're not responsible to tell a birth family that, but they are responsible to love a family and to welcome them in when they have events, when birth family comes with foster families to church, 
when if a birth family just comes to the church that hosted the family's camp class or comes to church on their own because they're seeking the food pantry that the church might have, I think a lot of times our interfacing and interactions with families, when we do those little things, impact and can make waves in them seeing the Lord through the church's actions and seeing the Lord through what the church has going on. And I, mean, I would love to just for the church to be more involved in foster care and be more involved in loving these families so that we can see that healing come. You said, Herbie, for that, that piece of the triad to not get forgotten because when these kids go home, they go home to the birth family and the birth family needs help and they need support. A lot of times our kids enter back into care and the birth family usually says it's because they don't have support and they don't know who to turn to when things get rough. And we know in this life things get rough. And so these our birth families need that support because the child's going to go back home. Ladies, I'm so grateful for all that y'all do each and every day on behalf of these kids and these birth families and these foster families. And I just want to ask all of you that are listening to make sure uh, that you're praying to the Lord on behalf of these birth families who many of which have lost the best job they've ever had, uh, many of which who are struggling to make ends meet, um, many of which have turned to uh, abuse substances because they've lost hope and, and potentially because they've never heard of love, the matchless love of Christ Jesus. And so let's pray for them. Let's pray for those kids that are right there in the middle. And let's pray for our foster families to have boldness and love and empathy uh, and, and wisdom, uh, but also stamina during this time. And if you or your family is interested in foster care, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at info at lifelinechild.org or our phone number 205-967-0811 and learn more about how your family can stand in the gap during this time for kids in foster care, their birth families, and for foster parents. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.